Well, last Monday evening, we were with the mission team. We had done deliveries for the Finding Hope Center. It was a great night. And as I was driving back with, uh, I was with Dan Kibbe and Megan Tenerello. We were in the truck driving back to the church. We were coming up Sawmill Road, made a right on to Sawmill, Old Sawmill Road, Old Sawmill Parkway. And we drove by the exact spot. And I don't go there very often, even though it's just down the street. But we drove by the exact spot where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling my family to start a church here in Powell, Ohio. I could take you to the exact spot over there where the church that I grew up in um, was. It was Sawmill Baptist Church here in Powell. And I remember back in 2017 with my wife, we drove to that exact spot and I said, baby, I want to show you the church that I grew up in until I was about 10 years old. And we were driving and we got to that exact spot and when we pulled up, the church wasn't there anymore. It was just a pile of gravel because that church died and that church has now been replaced with condos. And I knew in that moment that God wanted us to start this church here, that we're now existing in this middle of this miracle, the lot with a dot, every catchphrase and fortune cookie that I can come up with, right? And as I've just in that moment, you know, just this rush of emotions, thinking back through how far God has brought us as a church. And we've been through so many unique and special seasons, some of the main ones that stick out. With the original team meeting in my living room, setting up and tearing down in the school 109 times. Oy, I'm so glad that is over. I remember when we got this facility, that first Sunday we came here and we just had a work day in lieu of church. I remember a year ago when we got the Finding Hope Center and coming to our church membership in the middle of a pandemic and thinking, hey, can we raise this money in 30 days and start this furniture store? And we didn't know how we were going to pay for it after that, where we'd get the furniture and who would come. We didn't know. But in God's kindness and his providence, it's working. And what we want to do in Acts chapter 6 today is we're, we're entering into another season now as a church in the next couple of months. And in this season, it's the simple addition of what's known as deacons in the Bible. Now, if you're familiar with that term, this probably might not seem like a big deal to you, but I believe with all of my heart and why I wanted to take the next two weeks and look at Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, is I think the addition of these deacons into the ministry of this church is going to be a pivotal moment for our congregation. Because deacons, they have such a significant role in Scripture when it comes to physically caring for the needs of the men, women, and children that make up the church body. And I, I think and I hope and I've been praying this last week that when we get to the end of this message that we're going to understand why the addition of deacons is such a pivotal and significant moment to the health of our local church. You know, if you've grown up in any kind of church circles, you've probably experienced it. I'm going to put quotes around this. I'm not being rude, but deacon ministry in the past. I, I thought about a few that I've experienced. I'm not being mean here. I just think some of these are funny, okay? Um, I've been in churches where the deacons were the pastors in disguise, you know, where you had this group, this board of men that were deacons, and then they met once a month, and they made these pivotal decisions about the life of the church, um, but they were functioning actually as pastors are supposed to func function in the church. If you didn't know this, the gift set of a pastor and the gift set of the deacon are two distinct things in the scriptures, and I'm going to explain that here in just a moment. They're different roles. I grew, I grew up in churches where the deacons were the enforcers. Anybody grow up in a church like that? I, I can remember growing up in a church where if you did something wrong and you got caught, they called the deacons. 
And you always like were looking over your shoulder because you didn't want to go home, especially on a Sunday afternoon. And you're taking your Sunday afternoon nap and you're, you're drinking your Mountain Dew and you're just hanging out having a good time. And all of a sudden you, and one of the deacons showed up and you're like, oh no, what did we do? Or some grew up in churches where the deacons just kind of existed. Maybe they had name tags, Deacon Smith, but they didn't do anything. They just carried this strange title. And so as we were thinking and praying over this last year and a half of making this addition to our church, and we'll explain what they do here in just a minute, and this is going to be very instructive, hopefully, for you this morning. We saw in the New Testament, and starting in the book of Acts, that there's basically two biblical offices. There's the office of the pastor to lead the church and the office of the deacon to serve the church. And Joe and I began kind of thinking and talking, kind of the experiences we've had in the past, and then we just looked at the Scriptures, two passages, Acts 6, which we're going to look at in just a second, 1 Timothy 3, and we asked the simple question, what should deacon ministry look like? Not what we've, ex- we've experienced in our past, not what we've been a part of in the past, no. Based on the Scriptures, what should this look like? And we just want to take the next couple of weeks, and I want to show you the role of the deacon and how these guys are going to function in our church about four weeks from now to hopefully serve your families better, to hopefully love and care for the members of our church better. But I also just want to see in the scriptures like why certain people are going to be submitted to you for this role, and hopefully this will give us some context for that. So Acts chapter 6, if you want to look back at the Bible. Acts 6, several years has passed in the life of this newly formed church that was found in Acts chapter 2. Jesus' earthly ministry has passed up to this point. If you remember, Jesus was in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ, three and a half years on the earth. He ascended into heaven. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came onto the believers, and the the local church was started. If you remember, 3,000 people. They went from no church to a church of 3,000 that was then scattered to a whole bunch of different churches. And now in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 2, this church is founded, people scatter out. But this church specifically in Acts chapter 6, some some time has progressed. Some years have passed. And guess what happens? I shouldn't laugh about this, but it's just, it's familiar. People started fighting. (laughs) That sounds like church, don't it? These churches were formed and people just started fighting. And what's so, this isn't funny, but it's hilarious. You know what they're fighting about? Food. (laughs) Must be Baptist, right? This had to be a Baptist church because they were, if you didn't grow up Baptist, I grew up in a Baptist church where it was like if somebody didn't bring enough meatballs to the potluck, there was going to be a throwdown between the old ladies, you know? Like this is the kind of church I grew up in. And in the midst of this fight that occurs in the church, this emergence of this new role in the local church called the deacon is made known. And then in 1 Timothy 3, Paul formalizes this a little bit and talks about who these men should be. But the need is made evident in Acts chapter 6, then carried over and formalized later. But the simple question, and some of you guys are like, I don't don't care, deacons, I want to talk more about Romans chapter 1 and human sexuality and all that weird stuff. All right, no, this is so important to the life of the church. I mean, this is critical stuff. Why? And it's this. A healthy church is necessary in order to equip and send missionaries into everyday life. If we are dysfunctional as a family, we will not be able to properly um, live out the mission that God has called us to. To not only go and make disciples, but to also be able to receive disciples so that they can be equipped for the work of the ministry to be sent out to go make more disciples, to then bring them into the family, to equip them. You see the picture there? 
If we're not doing this well, and deacons are a pivotal part of this in the local church for the health of a church, then, man, we're just going to be a dysfunctional family that's just existing, and that's not what we want for living hope. So let's walk through this passage together, Acts chapter 6, and see what's going on here. The first one is this. We see number, point number one is the strain, the strain that occurred. Let's read verse number one again. It says, in those days, so this is years after the early church is founded, the disciples were increasing in number, and there arose a complaint. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. This was the distribution of food. And so the church is growing. People are connecting. We see that term disciple used. Throughout the New Testament, you're going to see basically three terms to, to reference Christian. The first is going to be Christian, disciple, or believer. Those are going to be kind of the three main terms that we, we see here. But the point was, it was men and women who had repented of sin and chosen to put their faith in Christ. And as the church is now gathered and it's growing and it's moving forward, what happens? There's tension. There's tension and there's fighting in this local church. Here's a few important principles when we just think about tension in the church. Three important things. First off, growth causes tension. Okay? That's so important. Important principle. Growth causes tension. Because when, when we bring new people into an organization, a system, or a family that's already functioning well, tension will occur. Let me give you a simple example. I can remember in our family when Colby was born four years ago, our youngest daughter. We had basically, to the best of your ability, figured out life with me, Liz, and Sophia, who at the time was five, I believe. We knew how things functioned. We had a good system, a rhythm, and a schedule about the way that we did things as a family. Then all of a sudden, you bring home a tiny human, and everything breaks and falls apart, and nothing works the way it did anymore. Such is the church. When we bring new people into the family of God, things are going to get shook up a little bit. Your seat might get taken. That was a big deal growing up. Someone might park in your spot. Someone might serve where you used to serve. Someone you were close to might get close to someone else as well. Why does that happen? Because when you bring new people into a system, organization, or family that was already functioning, tension is bound to occur. Here's the second one. You probably didn't know this. People cause tension. <laughs> if you didn't know this, you know, people have opinions. Did you realize that before? People in this church have opinions about certain things. We, we could go down the list. I don't want to do that because I'll probably get in trouble. But it's the way that we're wired. Right? We have opinions about certain things. And when our opinions don't align about the way certain things should be done, what happens? Tension. And here's what's so funny. And I, I, when I coach church planters, I always talk about this. In church planting, the first like two and a half to three years are the best. Because everybody's just excited about everything. You can get away with a lot as a pastor. Then all of a sudden at year three, there's a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And I, I equate it to that of a, a child. The first two to three years of your child's life, they just kind of go with the flow. They cry a little bit, but they just kind of will go with you. They're going to travel where you travel, eat what you put in front of them. They're just going to do things. Then they hit about age three to four, and all of a sudden as toddlers, if you didn't know this, toddlers have a lot of opinions about a lot of things that they know nothing about. <laughs> Such is the church. As we grow and mature as a church especially now that we're out of the toddler phase. We're getting four or five years old. We have a lot of opinions about things, and opinions bring tension. It's just the reality of the nature of what we do. 
And as we continue to age, then you, you reach another point where it's no longer about opinions, but it's about our traditions. Well, we haven't done things like that. Well, we're only five years old. What do you mean we haven't done things like that in the past? And we have opinions, things that we hold dear to our heart that when we start to change, what happens? There's tension. And then here's the last one, and we'll look at the text here again in just a second. When an organization is moving, there's tension. Movement causes tension. If you want to be part of a local church that's doing something and it's attempting to try to reach people, there will be tension because when movement occurs, what also occurs with it? Friction, heat, tension. You'll remember being in kindergarten and they were trying to teach you what friction was and they'd say, put your hands together and rub them like this. And your hands would start to get hot. Why? Because when two things are moving against each other, tension will naturally occur. And so what's happening here in this church? Two groups, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. Basically, their difference was how they interpreted the Old Testament law. And one group says, we're frustrated and irritated with the apostles and with this church because our widows are not getting fed the food that they were promised. We thought they were going to get this amount, and they're not getting anything. What's the deal? What's going on in this church? Because the local church has a responsibility. If you're one of the members of this congregation, we want to care for you well. We want to do the best that we possibly can. And so they level this complaint against the apostles. And then what did the local church do at that point? They put their heads together and they found a solution, right? They picked up the slack and they met the need, right? What did they do in verse 1? As the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint. Let Aaron preach for just a second. King James says, I love this translation, murmuring arose. The literal translation of the Greek that we could put there, and I would write this in your Bible. I did it in mine. Secret complaining started. The literal Greek in, in, in interpretation there could say, people were whispering to one another about an issue that they had. That's crazy. Pastor Joe always explains it this way when we did our deacon interviews, which I'll explain here in just a little bit. These people were frustrated with the apostles in the church, and so what were they doing? Can you believe that the apostles don't care about us? Can you believe that they don't care to see if, if we get our food? Nobody ever called me to see if I had dinner that week. They, they don't even care about me. You know, if they would just do things this way, then this would have never been an issue inside of that church. No complaints ever happened in Living Hope, by the way, if you were wondering that. Yeah, right, that's a lie. Here's another quick principle that we can just pull from this passage. Let's make sure in the local church that we talk to people, not about people, right? Because tension and strain, and we see this here in Acts chapter 6, and we've, we've seen it in the life of our church, right? We try to be an open book, curtain back, curtain pulled. Tension and strain only multiplies when we talk about one another and not to one another, if we want to be healthy as a congregation, we have to talk to one another about issues. There, there's no benefit in pulling someone to the side. I'm like, ps, 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 can you believe those pastors are terrible? They don't even care about us. Nobody called me this week. Be people of solutions, not complaints. And here's something me and my wife talked about this this week. I, well, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to take liberty and say this is biblical, all right, based on Acts chapter 6, verse 1. If you're whispering about it in the church, you probably shouldn't be talking about it. If you got a whisper about it, you probably shouldn't be talking about it, right? We, we want to be people, as Jesus said, that are, are known for our, our love for one another, 
not the way that we gripe and complain about one another. So the strain is felt, the food, or maybe these funds for food, we're not really sure, wasn't being distributed. So what did the apostles do? Verse 2, so the 12 apostles summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. It's a little confusing there. What's going on here? They summon the whole church together. If something significant has happened, they want to bring the whole congregation together to talk about it. This is where our church structure, if you didn't know this, was established. It's called church polity if you're a theology nerd. But we say around Living Hope that our church is pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregation-approved. At the end of the day, you guys have chosen, Pastor Joe and I, to lead this congregation. In just a few weeks, there's going to be probably five to seven men that are going to be able to serve you physically when your family has needs. And every time that we have a major decision, often that's going to be financial, that we need to make as a congregation, what do we always do? We bring it before the church membership for approval. Pastor-led, deacon-served, congregation approved. So what's going on here? The whole church is gathered. The apostles stand before them, acknowledge the tension and strain. They're like, look, we understand. The food wasn't distributed properly. What do we do about this? And I love what they say here. We're not going to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. That phrase, and write this in your Bible too if you have a paper copy, what they were saying is we're not going to give up preaching the word to deacon. That's the Greek word diakonos. We're not going to give up preaching to diakonos. We're not going to give up preaching in order to wait on tables. What are the apostles saying here? Um, There's two distinct roles in these offices. God has called, commissioned, and tasked the pastors to ministry of the word. God has called, commissioned, and tasked the deacons to ministry of the body. Pastors are ministry of the soul. Deacons, ministry of the body. They're two distinct roles. The pastors, the apostles at this point, were called to the proclamation of the word. The deacons were going to do what? They were going to serve the people. Friends, again, in Western culture, I know this can be so hard to understand and to, to really wrap our minds around, and I have a struggle with this too. But preaching of the word of God is of utmost importance to the local church. We, we have a responsibility, Pastor Joe and I, to, in order to make sure that our congregation is equipped in the truth of the scriptures. Because as we saw last week, as our culture continues to make a, a real fast dive down the garbage disposal, we want to make sure that our congregation is equipped in the word of God to be able to defend what they believe, why they believe it. We, we need that. Truth is truth, and it doesn't change, but God has tasked us to to help put the truth of the Word of God in your heart, to understand what the Scriptures say. That's an important task, and it's going to become even more important as things continue to to progress into what Paul called in Romans 1, utter insanity. It's necessary. But at the exact same time, the church has a responsibility to those that call this place home to make sure that you're served well. If this is truly the family of God, we have to function as a family. And we want to make sure that the physical needs of those who are in our church are met, and they're met well. And so the apostles are making the distinction here. They're not saying this is an either or. Either we preach the word or we meet the physical needs. No. They're saying this is a both and. These are both necessary to the proper function of the local church. And just as he has gifted certain men to preach the word of God, he's also gifted others to also to serve the needs of people. And we need to function in those capacities that God has created us to do. So what was the solution? We just said it. It was the institution of the deacon ministry. Point number two is the solution. 
In an effort to restore the unity and spirit of the church, the church had to get more organized in how it functioned. In the early days of Living Hope, Pastor Joe and I were able to meet a lot of the physical needs that were here in this congregation. Pastor Joe's done work on people's cars. We've gone and mowed people's grass. We've helped uh, with the organization of meals, and now we've got a, a ministry that does that. So many different things that sometimes people just have those needs, and they needed to be met. But now that we're older, we have to get more organized in how we do it. We have to equip these deacons in order to serve people well. So what happens here? Look at verse 3, in step the deacons. So the apostles say, brothers and sisters, talking to the church, select from among you seven men of good reputation. The church was tasked with putting forth the names of men who could fulfill this role on behalf of the church. Not only taking care of the widows, that was important, but future physical needs that would arise in this church. Seven men, again, don't put too much effort there. Some people read that and be like, ah, oh, every church has to have seven deacons. Stop being weird. That's not what that means. It was literally, Peter probably got up and like, ah, seven sounds good. All right? That's all that was going on. Select seven men and three qualifications. We're going to look at these more in depth next week. But think about this. They wanted to be men of good reputation, right? Men that were spoken well of in the congregation. Let's put that in the modern Aaron translation. You don't want losers as deacons. I don't want somebody as a deacon that people are like, that guy? No, they didn't want those either. Men who were full of the spirit. This is so important. Who live and walk in dependence upon the spirit of God. That's critical. And men of wisdom who take the life experience that they have, whether it's a literal or a lot, or a lot, and they take it and they let that inform how they serve people. And then what would they do with them? They were charged. Make sure the widows are fed. Later on, make sure the physical needs of the church are met. Why? Because they had a heart for it and they were gifted to do it. And when deacons were released to do that well on behalf of the church, what did that release the apostles and later the pastors to do? Minister the word well. Because it freed these guys up to study and to pray and to research and to dialogue. Because they didn't have to worry anymore about making sure that somebody's grass was mowed. Because they had tasked someone else to do that on their behalf. And so the church was going to be served well making sure the saints were equipped to leave for the mission field, working in tandem, cooperating closely. And here's what I love about this. While the strain in this local church was felt in verses one and two, by verse five, unity was found again. Look at verse five. Think about this. So they, they said, pick seven people. And then look at verse five. This proposal pleased the whole company. That's amazing to me. It pleased everybody. Again, it shows the importance of we want to bring the congregation in on these decisions. So the apostles said, look, you need to look out across the congregation. You need to pick seven guys, but it's up to you to determine who they will be. A couple notes. This is interesting. When you look through this list, just a couple guys here, when we think of them being full of the spirit and wisdom, Stephen, the first on the list in the next chapter, Acts chapter 7, was the first Christian martyr because he preached the gospel to the religious elite of the day, and they stoned him and killed him. I'd say that's a man full of the Spirit. You think of Philip, who was on that list. Philip was the one in the book of Acts who ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, if you remember that story, which likely led to the spread of the gospel throughout Africa later in history. I'd say that was a man full of faith and the Spirit. Prochorus in that list, according to church history, was a preacher of the gospel. He ministered the gospel everywhere he went, and later in Antioch, he was martyred for his faith because he wouldn't renounce Jesus 
Parmenius, according to church history, was also martyred for his faith as well later in Philippi. We don't know a ton about all of these guys. Again, that's an important quality for a deacon. They don't need the attention of the stage. They want to serve the hearts of the people. We don't know a ton about these guys, but what we do know is they love Jesus and they love the local church. And so what do they do in Acts? They had a commissioning service for these guys and pushed them off into this role, laid hands on them, a sign of support, and prayed over them, commissioned them for the task of the church. And what was the result? Verse 7.3, the success of the church. Look at this. The word of God spread, the disciples increased, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Gospel spread, discipled, increased. And here's what's wild, and Pastor Joe taught me this about two months ago. Acts chapter 6. In the book of Acts, when's the next time we see the deacons? Never. In the New Testament, when's the next time we see the deacons? One more, 1 Timothy 3. Why? Because they were doing exactly what God called them to do. They flew under the radar, and they served the people in their churches. That's what deacons do. Needs were met. They were accomplishing their task. Physical needs were helped. And the pastors were ministering the word of God. Here's why this is exciting for us, and I'll begin to close here. A couple months ago, we called a member meeting. And we, we let the members of this church, just like we see here in Acts, put forth the name of men that they said, you know what, based on what we know about these guys, we believe with all of our hearts that they would serve this congregation well as deacons. These would be men that we can see in this job of serving the physical need of people. So Pastor Joe and I, we've met with these guys over the last six weeks. We've asked them just some different questions about when they came to faith, what their wife thinks about this, how they feel that they fit the qualifications of deacon, just a bunch of questions. We prayed with these guys, took notes. And what's so exciting for me, based on what we see here in Acts chapter 6, and just thinking forward to the health of our church, is in just two weeks, we're going to be submitting the names of these, these men that have continued forward through this path and asking our church members to actually commission them into the task and the role of deacon. Men that are going to step into this role so that as culture continues to move, as we said in just a second ago, that we can rightly equip the saints of this church physically and spiritually, physical and soul as well. We want to love people well at this church. Why? Because a healthy church is necessary to equip and send disciples into the mission field. We don't want to be a dysfunctional family here. We've had our moments, my gosh. But we don't want to be a dysfunctional family. We want to be a healthy family that serves people well, sends people well, and equips people well. And I think about this. I heard this illustration on the radio yesterday. Why is this so important? Because here's what's probably going to happen. You're going to leave here and you're like, oh, deacons, whatever. How does that affect me? A healthy church is important. And, and the reason that it's important is because... According to the book of Ephesians, the local church is the primary avenue in which Jesus will get to the world. And the story went this way. I heard a preacher last night, Greg Laurie, on the radio say this. He said, just imagine for a second this hypothetical story that after Jesus' resurrection, he went up into heaven. And he arrived there, and Gabriel met him at the gate. He said, Lord, we, we saw the whole thing this last three and a half years. I mean, it was amazing, God. 
We can't believe everything that happened. And, and you, all, you really did go to the cross. And, and Lord, they, they killed you. And they put you in that tomb. And the wrath of God was satisfied. But three days later, Lord, we watched everything from heaven. We saw you come out of that grave. And we just saw you come up. Lord, the gospel is amazing. And we cannot believe that you've done this for humanity. And Gabriel looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, let me gather 10,000 angels. Send us to every corner of the earth. We have to tell every human being possible about this gospel to give them the opportunity to be saved. And Jesus said, no, Gabriel, that's not going to be necessary. I have a different plan. And Gabriel was astonished. He said, Lord, fine. If we can't send 10,000, Lord, let me at least go. I'll go to every corner of the earth and I'll, I'll tell every human I can about this gospel and what you've done for these people. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You don't need to do that either. I have a different plan. Gabriel, rather perplexed, said, Lord, then, then what is the plan? And he said, well, he said, I spent the last three and a half years and I left that message with 12 guys. They're the plan. And Gabriel, rather stunned, said, Lord, one of them's already ran off. Judas ran off, ran away. He's now dead. Lord, you had 12, now there's only 11. And Jesus said, I know. But I've given them the responsibility to take this message of the gospel to every corner of the earth and to let anybody that will listen to them know that I can save their soul from an eternity of separation from me. They're the plan, and we don't need another one. The local church is necessary for the equipping and the sending of the saints because we're the plan A, folks, and there's not a plan B, if you didn't know that. We're the plan A. And we want to do the best of our ability with what we see in scriptures to make sure that this church remains healthy so that our people are served well physically and equipped well spiritually to send missionaries into a lost and dying world with the hope that we simply come at them and say, Jesus saves. And that's why we have deacons. We're going to have deacons in just a few weeks. And so next week, we're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy 3, looking more specifically at the qualifications of these guys, because we want to make sure that our church understands what this will look like and how these men will serve them in years to come. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we say this every week, if you simply repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him, he will save you for all eternity, and it's the greatest news in the universe. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that we even have the opportunity to step into this next season of ministry as a church. God, we thank you that you've brought us this far, and we look forward to the days ahead. And so, God, now we just want to, uh, I pray for each one of my friends in this room, those listening online. God, would you send us from this place as missionaries? Would you continue to help us get healthier and healthier as a local church? God, so that we can truly live out the calling that you've given us to go and make disciples of all nations. So God, as we sing and pray, it's a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven, giving Jesus the praise that he and only he deserves. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.